Well, good morning. How is everyone? Good. Great response. Excellent. Everyone's awake. Well, we're in our fourth, uh, fourth week of our Joy Interrupted series. It's been a great series so far. Uh, and this morning, we're going to be talking about what do we do or how do we respond when we just feel stuck. Anybody ever felt that way? Like things just aren't going the way we want to, feel like we're kind of spinning our wheels kind of thing. Um, and I wanted to start by asking you guys, what are some things that happen in your life or, or whatever that, that make you feel that way, make you feel stuck or like you hit a wall? Can you just shout them out? What are the things in your life that have, that have happened that, that make you feel stuck? Flat tire. <laughs> yep. What, I heard something out here. Family issues. Yeah, kids. Yeah. <laughs> Adult kids. Don't worry, five-year-old kids too. <laughs> Anybody else? Bad job. Yes, definitely. One more. Your air conditioner. Oh, my goodness, yes. Our AC went out last summer in the middle of the summer. Whew. We got that fixed just uh, like Karina's pregnant. So we got that fixed with like quick, fast, and in a hurry. <laughs> so yeah, so what are the, some things, once we realize we're in that spot, what are some things that you guys do to try to get like unstuck, for lack of a better word? Yeah, try to fix it on your own. Yeah, that's the, that's the guy mentality. I'm going to fix it. Prayer, it's great. Anyone else? Talk to a friend. Great. All right. So we, we kind of touch on both of those things. We all can get on that, on that, that, that uh, understand that we all feel stuck, and at a certain point, we get to a place where we need to do something about it. When I feel stuck, it tends to be because I feel like I was made for something bigger, right? I'm, I'm kind of stuck in the, the mundane, like every day, and not that I have a bad life or anything like that, but I just feel like God meant me for something big. And that makes sense. It's a common feeling. I used to kind of beat myself up over that, of like, why can't I just be happy? But I began to realize as I've talked to people and prayed with people, like, that's a normal feeling because that's kind of how God created us, right? The kingdom of God is a big thing. So it makes sense that if the kingdom of God is so big that we would want to be part of that and hopefully a big part of that. And God responds to that because God sees our potential, right? He created us. He knows what we're capable of. And he sees our potential and doesn't want us to settle for anything less than what he made us to be. Now, this Joy Interrupted series, we've kind of been talking about what do we do when life kind of hijacks our joy, when things in life kind of say, like, that joy thing is going to be put on hold. How do we respond to that? And this morning, we're going to have a conversation about how to respond to those feelings of wanting something more that allows us to see God's blessing in the midst of feeling stuck to see everything that God's doing and how God wants to use us and what his purpose for us is. All that's going to bring us joy in the midst of those seasons where we're spinning our wheels, where we hit a wall, where we just feel stuck. So if you're in that place this morning, if you feel stuck or have felt stuck in the past or feel like there might be a time in the future where you're going to feel stuck, today we're going to learn from Paul, as we continue on our series through uh, Philippians, how to come out of that feeling and into the joy of Christ. So if you want to dig out your outlines, we're going to go to our first point, um, and that is when you get stuck, commit to obey God. When you get stuck, commit to obey God. So we're in Philippians 2, verses 12 and 13. It says, Dear friends, you always followed my instructions when I was with you. And now that I'm away, it's even more important. Work hard to show the results of your salvation, obeying God 
with deep reverence and fear. For God is working in you, giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases him. So this is a great verse, and, and Paul shows a deep understanding of a couple of things. The first one is, is the importance of salvation, right? We all get that salvation. We accept Christ as our Savior, and we are sealed in the kingdom of God. He gets that. But then part B of that is he understands the responsibility that is put on us when we accept Christ as our Savior, right? It's kind of a two-way street. We're sealed in salvation, but, but Christ asks something of us. He asks, us, he asks for our obedience, Right, and Paul's illustrating that here. He says, be obedient to Christ and reverently worship him for the loving God that he is. You know, we can all kind of acknowledge that there are times and seasons in our lives where we do feel stuck. And in those seasons of our lives, at least for me personally, when I get that feeling like I'm just stuck in my relationship with God, I'm not going anywhere, I can usually uh, bring it back to a place of, of disobedience on my end. Maybe not even anything necessarily that bad. Maybe it's just, you know, not, not making my relationship with God a priority. Some sort of disobedience is kind of the root of that, like, why do I feel this way? And the normal, our normal response when we do feel in that place is to be discontent, right? And when that happens, we tend to do some stuff that, that probably God wouldn't necessarily want for us. We tend to chase things. You know, things like a better job. Somebody mentioned a bad job over here. We chase a better job. We tend to chase like a raise. We tend to chase, chase stuff that's going to make our lives better, right? If I can get to this place, if I can reach this goal that I set for myself, my life is going to get better. I'm going to stop spinning my wills, and I'm going to be fine. But what Paul is trying to teach Philippi, the Philippians and us is that if we've accepted Christ as our Savior, Christ is already working in us, right? We need to tap into that power. Rather than trying to do things on our own and try to attain things that we've, to attain goals that we've set for ourselves, tap into the power of Christ that's already living in us as believers. Because God is giving us the desire and the power to please God through obedience. Right? We already have it in us. Why not tap into it? And what a better way to, to get a jump on whatever funk that we're in than to tap into that power of Christ and get back to the basics and show him our obedience which Paul calls the results of our salvation. Now, there is, there is a little bit of a trap with this obedience thing. Like, like, so for me, growing up, obedience was basically, I had this list of things that God said that I'm not allowed to do, right? It's, we tend to think of obedience as something that keeps us from doing the things that we want to do in the way that we want to do it. And while it's true that, 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 dis- that obedience to God will keep us from doing things that the world might say is okay or tell us that we shouldn't do those things. What we get in return is so much better. What God gives us in return for our obedience is freedom. Freedom to have a relationship with him and freedom to grow in that relationship with him. And then next, he he gives us the freedom to understand the plan that he has for our lives, and then he's going to walk with us to help us carry out and follow through on that plan. And to me, the comparison isn't even close. The the things of this world that I have to give up to be obedient to God, they don't even compare to what the freedom that I get to live in Christ and to have a relationship with Christ and carry out the plan that he has for my life. It's not even even a question to me. So God's offer to us is, here, spend eternity with me. Let me be the Lord of your life. And all I ask in return is obedience, only because it's one of the major ways that our relationship with God grows. Like, ultimately, that's what obedience does. When we're obedient to God, our relationship with, with him grows. And you can kind of think about it this way. Everybody knows Adam and Eve, right? Adam and Eve, 
we, one of the lessons we learn from them is that sin is, is a wedge that can be driven between us and God. Sin separates us from God. And if we think about sin as nothing more than, than disobedience to God, then obedience then becomes um, the polar opposite of sin, basically. Obedience is, is the opposite of sin. It's when we listen to God. Ultimately, Christ bridges the gap between us and the Father. I have an illustration. Many of you have probably seen this illustration before. It looks kind of like this. Oh, this marker's kind of, hopefully you can see that. So we got, um, we have God over here. We have us over here. Okay, and this is sin. And then Jesus came along and did, my, I know my artwork is impeccable, so don't be, don't be ashamed that you're not as skilled at me at this. So Jesus came along, and uh, he, made, he bridged the gap for us, right? He made it possible for us to come from here to here and, and have a relationship with God. But what I would add to this uh, illustration is that while, while the, the cross and Jesus bridged the gap, we have some work to do, right? And the more obedient we are, the more, uh, the, the more acts of obedience that we demonstrate, the closer and closer and closer to God we get, the better our relationship to God. God gets, the closer our relationship gets, and the deeper our relationship would get. So yes, when we, when we accept the cross, when we accept Jesus, we are sealed in the kingdom of God. There's nothing that, that can change us. This verse isn't telling us that we have to earn our salvation or anything like that. It's saying once we have that salvation, once we have that gift from God, if we want a deeper, stronger, more meaningful relationship with God, then start doing those acts of, of obedience. Accepting Christ's invitation to obedience is the first way that we can get through that feeling of just being stuck, of spinning our wheels in our relationship with God. So now we have a starting point in obedience, and so where do we go from there? I think the place that we go is when we get stuck, we stop complaining and start living. Stop complaining and start living. Philippians 2, 14 through 16 says, do everything without complaining or arguing so that no one can criticize you. Live clean, innocent lives as children of God, shining like bright lights in a world full of crooked and perverse people. Hold firmly to the word of life. Then on the day of Christ's return, I'll be proud that I did not run the race in vain and that my work was not useless. So I've been a parent for, about, for a little over five years now. So I have a serious question for all you parents that might be a little bit more experienced than me. And that question is, does the whining ever stop? Like, ever. <laughs> so Derek's bedtime is, is 8.30, right? And every, it's the same thing every night. Like, I go, okay, bub, it's time to go to bed. The noises that come out of him are almost inhuman. I see a lot of nodding of heads. Like, you know what I'm talking about. It is ridiculous. And I'm like, Derek, what? This is the same thing every night. It's like, come on. And I can, I can empathize with him a little bit. Like, I, things, you know, I, I know that there's things in my life that I have to do that I don't necessarily want to do. And I don't think I do that much whining. Talk to Karina on that one. I don't think I do that much whining, but I do probably do a fair amount of complaining, right? And when I talk to Derek about why he's acting the way he is, why he's whining, why he's acting up, whatever it is, he always has the same response. He does this little pinky promise thing. Anybody familiar with that? Like, Dad, I pinky promise I'm going to do better next time. Okay, buddy. <laughs> so, and... and I know he's being sincere, and the reason I know that is because he knows and understands the way that he's supposed to act. He's not supposed to writhe and 
scream and weeping and gnashing of teeth at bedtime. Like, that's not supposed to happen. He understands that. So that's why he does show true remorse. And like, Dad, I, I promise I'm going to try to do better next time. Now, I compare that to some of the conversations that I've had with God when I'm not necessarily obedient or I am complaining about some of the stuff that he's asking me to do. And I say, God, I pinky promise I'm going to do better next time because I'm aware of the commitment that I made to God. I'm aware that I committed to be obedient to him. And there's a reaction uh, that, that a lot of us have when God tells us (laughs) to do something that maybe we're not comfortable with. There's a reaction that we have when God tells us to do something. It's just like, man, God, I'm not on on board with that. I don't don't know if I want to. We get upset, right? We might refuse to do it. We might complain. And Paul's message to the Philippians in verse 14, it's really simple. He's basically saying, guys, quit whining. (laughs) Quit whining. We have to stop complaining because it's going to cause us to lose sight of the blessings that God has for us. It's going to cause us to lose sight of when we get through that difficult thing, when Jesus takes us through that stuff or whatever that hard thing is or the thing that we don't want to do, once we get through that, we're going to see blessing on the other side. And I'm going to give you another Derek illustration. It's funny, when your kids reach a certain age, they become the illustration for everything that, that, that you have to talk about. But so um, Derek is really excited to be a big brother, like really excited. And we've been talking to him about like how things are going to change. He's moved into his new bedroom. Um, things are going to change. He's going to have some more responsibilities. And we've been talking to him about helping change diapers. Whoo! <laughs> he is not on board with that, right? He's like, I do not want to change Tyler's poopy diapers. <laughs> so we've been trying to like explain this to Derek, and he has given... Like, every five-year-old logical argument for why he shouldn't have to change poopy diapers that you can think of. He's also infused some humor into the situation. Um, we were ta- telling him about how, like, the baby may, may wake up, like, early, like, 3 o'clock in the morning and need the diaper change. We'll need his help. And he goes, Mom, Dad, I can't, I can't help change Tyler's poopy diapers at 3 o'clock in the morning. He's like, do you know why? I was like, why, Derek? He's like, because I'd be pooped. <laughs> Yep, he's my son. <laughs> I'd be pooped. Karina, uh, she couldn't have given me a harder eye roll when he said that. But, so, but we're, trying, we're trying to explain to Derek in all of this that if he loses sight or if, if, if he stays focused on the things that he doesn't want to do, if he gets so like, bent on not changing Tyler, helping to change Tyler's diapers, if he gets set on that and focused on that, He's going to lose sight of all the blessings that God's going to give us through giving him a little brother and giving us another side and we, a son, and we don't want that. We don't want him to do that. And Paul here invites the Philippians to start living uh, with some really in-your-face action words, right? He gets through this place of, like, you're going to lose sight of, of the blessings that God has for you. And he starts and says, now you need to take action. Right now, you need to, to, to act on the things that we've been talking about. He tells them to live clean and innocent lives. He tells them to shine like bright lights in a world of darkness. And he tells them to hold firmly to the word of life. Doing these three things will help us avoid going down the self-destructive road of complaining and arguing, right? That place that God doesn't want us to be, where we lose sight of the blessing. He says, live, shine, and hold. Then he says, 
he, he communicates live in God's blessing while being his reflection in a world so dark that it can take us to places where we hit a spiritual wall, right? We can hit a spiritual wall, and we just, when we're in that place, we don't know how to recover. This world has darkness in it. And God's calling here, what Paul's telling the Philippians and what God's telling to us is, I've called you to be my reflection in this dark world, right? Not only is it beneficial for the people that you're reflecting to, but it helps you. It helps you not get overcome with that darkness and hit that spiritual wall. And you guys, hopefully you know what I'm getting at with the spiritual wall of just like, I don't know where to go at this point. My, my spiritual life is hurting and my life is, is hurting. I don't know where to go. Pete Scazzaro, he's author of Emotionally Healthy Spirituality, and he describes this, this spiritual wall. It's really on point, so I just I want to read it to you. It says, for most of us, the wall appears through a crisis that turns our world upside down. It comes perhaps through a divorce, a job loss, the death of a close friend or family member, a cancer diagnosis, a disillusioning church experience, a betrayal, a shattered dream, a wayward child, a car accident, an inability to get pregnant, a deep desire to marry that remains unfulfilled, a dryness or loss of joy in our relationship with God. We question ourselves, question God, the church. We discover for the first time that faith does not appear to work. We have more questions than answers as the very foundation of our faith feels like it's on the line. We don't know where God is, what he's doing, where he's going, how he's getting us there, or when it will be over. So, you know, in a nutshell, we get to a place where we just, we don't even know which way is up in our spiritual life. And I think Pete pretty much nails what this looks like, this crisis point that creates a wall. The only thing that I would add to this is, while it's true that like a crisis point, a big happening, like a, a divorce or, or cancer or something like that, can throw up that wall quick, fast, and in a hurry, I would also submit to you that that wall can be built brick by brick over time right, with hurt relationships or, or a bad at church experience or whatever it is, that wall can go up brick by brick by brick and, and form a, a wall that's, for all intents and purposes, impenetrable. So live, shine, and hold. Those are the three action words that Paul uses. And then take pleasure in the blessings that God can show us when we take our obedience seriously. And I would encourage you, if you're struggling, do something. Right? We have to do something if that wall is going to come down. It's not going to come down on its own. Right? T- do something to start taking those bricks down. Talk to a mentor or a friend. Read your Bible. Find some way to serve, worship. Do something to show God that you're serious about breaking down that wall and getting back to serving him. And it looks different for everyone. For me, there's, there's two things that God always points me to. He says, start reading, pick up your Bible, start reading, and get serving. Right? I love serving in the church. I've served in children's ministry, youth ministry, young adult ministry, whatever this is called. <laughs> um, I'm the campus, campus uh, ministries intern, like all that stuff. I do that stuff because God says that's the action he wants me to take to, to, start, to keep that wall from being built, to, built up. And if I do get to a place where that wall is starting to gain some traction, I dig into serving, dig into reading my Bible. This is what I need to do to take action. Now, in addition to just getting through our wall, the other thing that taking action does is helps us move from selfish acts to selfless acts, and that a truly joyful one is, is one that is uh, founded on giving ourselves away to others. So when you get stuck, pour your life into others. 
when you get stuck, pour your life into others. Philippians 2, 17 and 18. I will rejoice even if I lose my life, pouring it out like a liquid offering to God, just like your faithful service is an offering to God. And I want all of you to share that joy. Yes, you should rejoice, and I will share your joy. So Paul here, is, he's referencing um, set this, some sacrificial practices of Old Testament law. He's talking about a drink offering, which basically it was, it was the, the last offering. After the, the main offering, which was usually a ram, the, they would come along and they would pour out this drink offering, basically just to be like a sweet aroma to God after the main one. And the joy that, that Paul finds in these Philippians is found in the way that they faithfully served, served God. You know, he's passed on this knowledge and this way of living to them, and now they're taking it and walking that out on their own. They're pouring into other people, and he's saying, that, that's my ram. That's my main offering, and I'm just, I'm happy to be the drink offering that that's, that's, that's uh, that sweet aroma. He's happy and finds joy in just being that drink offering. What Paul's trying to convey is that his joy is not just in telling them that they should serve God, but in seeing them uh, take the lessons that they learned from him and act them out and pour out onto other people. And it's a beautiful lesson to learn, I think. And it's one that I'm learning even, even this, this past week. There's a, a guy who used to be in, in our youth group, our uh, Sunday night element. And uh, he's graduated within the last like, year or so. And, and recently, he's going through some, some life changes. He's moving, doing a whole bunch of things. And he reached out to me. He's like, Sean, I just I need to talk to somebody. Um, and uh, have breakfast with him. And it was just really cool to see him like kind of struggle through some of these progressions that he's making and talk to God and you know, he's, he's talking about reading his Bible, like, seriously for the first time. He's talking about, um, he's, he's trying to get rid of some of the sins that have kind of plagued him over his life and, and work through all that. And he's actually, he's volunteered to go on one of our missions trip, trips. So he's, he's actively seeking to pour himself out onto other people. And when I, when I hear him say those things, and when I see him taking those steps towards Christ, I told him, I was texting with him the other night, and I was like, man, I'm just proud of you. I'm proud of the steps towards Christ that you're making. And he's, he's so thankful for me to, to, for, to hear that. But, you know, I, I, what I'm trying to communicate to him is, like, that is why I'm involved in student ministries. You know, I get the opportunity to pour into students' lives, to pour out and share some of my experiences with them and help them kind of navigate their, their walk with Christ. And then when they, you know, grow out and they graduate and they, they become young adults as they kind of process some of this stuff on their own, it's just so encouraging for me to see them make right decisions, to see them take those steps towards Christ. And he's now going out and pouring himself out onto other people um, in different countries even. So it's, you know, that's kind of my ram. That's my ram where I can say, yes, God, this is so worth it, and that's where I find my joy. That's where I find uh, that God is really working. In those moments, I couldn't help but to feel like Paul as he's writing to the, to the Philippians and as he's telling them from a prison cell that they are his, his ram and he's just happy to be that drink offering. So um, what I would encourage you at this point is to find, find that ram, right? Allow God to work in your life and use you in other people's lives. That's the kind of joy that, that that's the kind of work that results in joy. 
That's how we get out of that stuck place is to find that joy in other people and in pouring ourselves out. Joy that is about more than just getting out of a rut or walking, getting through a wall. That kind of joy comes from making an eternal difference in the lives of the people around you. It's about finding your ramp. So I would ask you, where are you today? Have you hit a wall? Are you trying to avoid hitting a wall and being stuck? Wherever you find yourself, I would encourage you to follow the lessons that we've learned from Paul today. One, commit to obeying God. Stop complaining and start living and pour into the lives of others. Do these things lovingly and with a servant's heart, and you'll you'll be sure to keep your joy from being interrupted by a wall of negativity and feeling stuck. Because that's not what any of us want. We don't want to run into that wall. And I challenge you this morning to go out, find your ram, and start pouring into them. Whether it's service in the church or just a relationship that you have with somebody, pour into them. Tell them what Christ can do through them. Help them to follow this obedience track to, to get closer and closer to God. Whatever that looks for you, whatever God's calling you to, be obedient. Don't complain. Don't argue. Be obedient and find your ramp. Let me pray for you. Father God, thank you so much for uh, just wanting to be part of our lives, God. Obedience can be a difficult thing to, to wrap our minds around. It can be something that is a barrier for some of us to help us to understand, God, that Obedience is so worth it when we realize that it draws us closer to you, into a deeper relationship with you. Help us to stop complaining and arguing when you call us to do something, when we have to do something that we don't necessarily want to. Help us to be obedient in that as well. Lord, help us to find our ram. Help us to pour out into somebody else. so that we can find joy in knowing that that you've worked through us to encourage somebody and made an eternal difference in somebody else's life. Help us, Lord, to get through that wall, to take these steps to get through that wall and serve you in the capacity that you want us to, God, to do something big and great for your kingdom. In Jesus' name, amen.